morning everyone, great to see you. We're carrying on our series in having the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see other people through the finished work of the Lord Jesus and through a new covenant way of seeing. And uh, we're starting the book of Galatians today which is probably, in my opinion, if you want to explore the freedom that we have in Christ, is probably the, the greatest book in explaining freedom. Because it was in this church in Galatia that freedom was under threat, and some people were coming in and saying, it's Jesus plus, Jesus plus rules. It's like the book of Galatians, the gospel is on trial. Paul the Apostle is on trial and we're going to be exploring how he answers those who say actually Jesus isn't enough, it's Jesus plus some religious rules. It's interesting isn't it, if you go into any bookshop you can find so many books that will tell you about the good life and how to live the good life and there's lots of common grace good stuff out there. And what makes us confident that what we hear about, I don't know, maybe it's a self-help thing or an improvement thing or a way to be transformed, how do we know, how can we be confident that that thing is true? Maybe we look at the integrity of the person who wrote it. Maybe they're a scientist. And science and medicine, there's grace on that. And maybe it's a person who studied the mind or studied the body. And they have integrity. Maybe it's a compelling account of what this truth, this reality did in their life. Maybe it's a testimony. Maybe it's a testimony backed up by lots of other people's testimony. Maybe this thing is proven over time. Maybe there's authentic stories of it working. And you think actually there's a lot of data and science that backs it up. Have you noticed that ideas around life and ideas around the good life Often, they grow from one idea, one insight, and then someone says, oh, I've got a little bit more, and they add a little bit more on top of it. Maybe it's a brand new invention like the MRI screen, where they can look inside the brain, and suddenly they realise we've got new thoughts, new ideas, new insights, new evidence, and it builds. Often we see in society, change is gradual, isn't it? It's one thought on top of one thought. Someone says that's not right and someone says I agree. And then something changes and evolves and it's gradual. Quite often it's old thinking mixed with some new thinking and eventually the new thinking might replace the old thinking. That's not what happened with the gospel. I want us to understand how revolutionary Paul and the preachers of the gospel were. How radical it was to suddenly someone say this, I met the risen Christ and I received directly from him a message about how people can be made right with God. How would you feel you were living at that time and you had the traditions and the history and your culture and the Old Testament and the prophets and, and the laws and the rule and the temples and, and all these things that people had to do to be right. 
And then this person turns up, Paul, who says, all gone. All the old ways, all the generation of thinking and religion and practices, all gone. And so these believers in the book of Galatians were Gentile believers. That means they weren't Jewish believers. Some people were saying, Paul, you are mad and you are deluded and you are confused. Who on earth do you think you are? Of course, these men and women who are coming to Christ from the Gentiles, they need to embrace our history and our rules. And one of those rules was the rule of circumcision. It was the eighth day a baby boy would be circumcised as evidence. He was part of the people of, uh, 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 part of the Jewish people. It was part of their practices. And Paul is there saying, no, I've seen Jesus. I've received something directly from Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus plus anything ruins everything. This is radical and revolutionary. He's starting a revolution and turning on its head thousands of years of history and inheritance. And he says, no one could be made right with God by observing the commandments of the law. It's only trusting what Jesus did for us and not trusting what we do for ourselves. God declares a person right with himself as sheer grace, as a gift. They contribute nothing. Have you ever listened to a conversation on a bus, then someone's on the phone, and you don't know what the other person on the other end is saying, <laughs> but you have a pretty good idea about what the topic is by the sound of the person's voice and what they're saying. Maybe they're perplexed or confused, or maybe they're angry and they're pushing back and you think, oh, I know what this is about. This is a family discussion, or I know what this is about. They're frustrated, they've got the wrong bill and they're fighting their corner to have their bill changed. That's a little bit what the book of Galatians is like. What we hear is, Paul on one end of the telephone answering the critics of the gospel and the critics of himself. We don't really hear what they're saying, but we do understand what they are saying by what Paul says and the answers that Paul is giving. There were people who came in and they wanted mixture. They wanted, yeah, Jesus plus some rules. But in order to get Jesus plus some rules, they had to prove that Paul had no right to be proclaiming this message and they had to prove he had no right to guard this message. That his authentic message was false and that he had no authority to present that message. They needed those to get it through. They needed to get it through so they could have this mixture, old and new, because they thought that's really appealing. It feels true, doesn't it? That there's a bit of gift and there's a bit of us, there's a bit of work and there's a bit of receiving. Gives us a sense of control, gives us a sense of agency with God. We can hold God hostage, look at us, we're keeping the rules, we're doing the things. And also we don't lose our heritage, we don't lose our history, we don't lose our practices. So the book of Galatians is Paul under attack and being persecuted and prosecuted, the book of Galatians is him defending the message, mm. defending his authority to preach this message to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and the authenticity of the message that says it's Jesus plus 
nothing. That's the new covenant. That's the new deal. And so Paul in this letter is saying, stop. You adding mixture, Jesus plus anything, means you are deserting him who called you. You're not just turning from a doctrine or some ideas or some thoughts. You are actually, in this mixture, turning from God himself. You're turning to a different message that really is no good news at all. But they need to discredit him in order to introduce their rules. They need to undermine him in order to undermine his gospel. And the fundamental question that we're asking this morning is this. Is the gospel that Paul preached, that clearly looks at the finished work of Jesus, was that message from heaven or was it made up by people? Huge question, really important question. And the answer we give to that question, in all honesty, makes all the difference in the world to the way we live our Christian life. Firstly, if we say, yes, Paul, it was from heaven and not from men, and that you had the authority and the right to preach it, we are personally persuaded through the book of Galatians that a personal, intimate relationship with God is rock solid, secure, because of the finished work of Jesus. It means if we say it's from heaven and not from people, we can absolutely know with 100% assurance our sins are forgiven, our past is wiped clean, we're free to engage with God, that nothing can separate us. Secondly, if we're convinced, we'll be, if we are fully convinced it's from God and yes. the only message and truth this is a huge claim in our pluralistic age. This is what the gospel is claiming. There is no other message under heaven by which men and women can be made right with God. That's a huge claim. Amen. And it's a very, very offensive claim if we're not right. Amen. And if we are mixed in our feelings around it, thinking it's a good message but it's not the only message. If we're in a place where we're thinking, actually, they've got a point, and they've got a point, and they've got a point. If we're not fully persuaded it's the only message, then our confidence in sharing it, and our courage in sharing it, will be completely undermined. Because we'll think, what right have I got mm. to tell another person there's only one way that you can be made right with God? Mm. And thirdly, if we're not fully convinced that the message came from heaven to Paul, then we are vulnerable in the area of resisting anything that contradicts the message, anything that distorts and opposes it. Because we could have this idea that truth is an unveiling and unfolding truth, and truth just carries on unveiling and unfolding. That what they understood about being right with God then is not what we understand now. Amen. Now, our understanding and comprehension of spiritual adoption and the benefits we have in Christ and all the realities of intimacy, identity and impact, they're unveiling and unfolding as God gives revelation. But the fundamental foundation that Paul is defending is that a man or a woman cannot be made right apart from the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And if we're not fully persuaded of that, 
then someone can come to our door, we can read something on the internet, we can hear a new philosophy being spouted that says, you need this and Jesus, you need that and Jesus, which distorts the gospel, and then we're vulnerable to every new idea and teaching that tells us it's actually Jesus plus something else. So what I want to do this morning is let's imagine that the Apostle Paul is in court. Book of Galatians calls them the Judaizers. They want to introduce the law. They've dragged Paul into court and said, Paul, we're going to cross-examine you because we're going to prove that this message that you preach (coughs) is from people and not from God. And if we can prove it's from people and not from God, then we can add anything we want because it's just human wisdom. So let's imagine, I love court cases and watch every movie where there's a court case and every single TV show where there's a court case and cold cases. I love it. So I had so much fun doing this. So Paul enters the court and he stands in the stand and he is bewildered and passionate and frustrated and angry at those who have dragged him into court to undermine the gospel. And under cross-examining nation, he goes about defending his authority and the authenticity of the message. He gives his testimony in order to halt the Galatians from being sucked into deception. And he speaks through the book of Galatians, through the centuries to us, and says, I don't want you to turn away from the gospel that I taught. He wants us to surrender to it, and trust it totally and utterly as our only confidence before God. So the prosecution stands, and Paul is standing there, and the prosecution says this to Paul. Paul, you have no right to say that you're a spokesman for God. What on earth gives you the right to say, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one I taught, You are deluded, you are prideful, and you are arrogant. What on earth gives you the right to say you have the last word on being right with God? And Paul stands up and says, this calling and this message, it didn't start with me. Believe me, it wasn't my idea. It was God's. God set me apart before I was born. Look, it was always God who wanted the gospel for all the nations. He called me. He chose me to spearhead the mission. He chose me before I was even born. Believe me, this was the last thing on earth I was looking for. Just look at who I was when he called me. I think God wanted it to be absolutely clear that this calling was all his idea and had nothing to do with me. You heard about my former way in Judaism and how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. When God commissioned me and when I saw the risen Christ on the Damascus road, I had papers in my hand. I was on my way to destroy the church and throw Christians into prison. I was a Christ-hating, Christian-persecuting Pharisee 
I had no desire to be an apostle or even a Christian. I hated Christians. I was advancing in zeal against the church, not for the church. Look, just look at my amazing 180 degree turnaround from persecutor to apostle. It can only be explained by what I said. I had a revelation and a commission from Christ Jesus himself. I saw the utter truth and beauty of Jesus, the one I'd been persecuting. The gospel made me a radically new man. My change can only be accounted for by the risen Christ. The prosecutor stands up. I put it to you that you saw an opportunity in pretending to have this so-called 180 degree turnaround from persecutor to apostle. You saw an opportunity for influence and power. You liked the idea of influence and power, Paul. You loved the idea that you have direct access to this risen Christ as you describe him. You liked the idea of undermining our traditions and our history and our culture and our religious practice. It made you feel important and special. Paul stands up and says, I want you to know that's not true. I had nothing to gain from joining Christians. Quite the opposite, I had everything to lose. I was advancing in Judaism. I was advancing beyond many of the people of my own age. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I loved the traditions. I loved the history, the culture, the religious practices. I was passionate about them. I defended them with all my passion, even to the point of giving my consent to murder. This revelation meant the destruction of all my religion. It meant the destruction of all my past achievements. They were all suddenly rubbish to me. I was face to face with reality. This Jesus I'd heard about in Jerusalem, I saw him face to face. The reality that Jesus is Lord, I saw it. Everything had to change. Jesus became everything to me. I began a journey of trying, of, of serving the one I tried to destroy. A life of preaching a gospel I'd hated. And a journey of rethinking my entire understanding of the Old Testament. The prosecution stands up and says, you say you got your message directly from Jesus. I don't think that's true. I think... You shaped your message by spending time with the other Jesus followers. You came up with it together. You came up with this message by spending time with them. Your message, Paul, is from people. It's second hand. And not, as you say, directly from Jesus. You have no right, you have no authority to call people who change your message distorted. You are deluded when you say you have an authority that's higher than angels. And Paul stands and says, 
I didn't get this turnaround from the 12 who had been with Jesus. The message I preached and the authority to preach it came directly from Jesus. I did not preach man's gospel. I did not receive it from people. I wasn't taught it by any man. Just look at the evidence. After meeting Jesus, I avoided contact with the 12 apostles. I avoided it by going to Arabia for three years. And then I only spent 15 days with Peter. I didn't go to school with Peter. I didn't get my gospel from Peter. The time I spent was really short. It was two weeks. And I'd already been preparing and understanding the message for three years. My aim was to simply meet Peter. More evidence. Then after my 15 days with Peter, I then spent 14 years again on my own. They added nothing to me. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I, want, I wanted to make sure the message I preached was in unity with them, and it was. In what I'm saying to you before God, I do not lie. Flesh and blood did not reveal Christ to me, and flesh and blood did not teach me the gospel. I am not dependent on Peter, I'm not dependent on James, and I'm not dependent on John. So, where did the message come from then, Paul? What gives you the right to say, accursed is anybody who adds to your message? You are arrogant, deluded and prideful. And Paul answers for the last time, it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I met the risen Christ and from him directly I received the message I preach. Not just the message, but also the authority to preach it. And then Paul closes the argument and he says, everything you've heard demonstrates that I am not dependent on people for my authority and for the gospel message. I do not speak with one eye on Jesus and one eye on gaining approval from people. In fact, when Peter behaved inconsistent with the gospel, I confronted him to his face. I am bold and courageous in this way because the message is not my own. It's from the risen Christ. Nothing I say is motivated by the fear of man or the need of people's approval since I care very little for the opinion of people and since my message comes directly from Jesus. I am a reliable witness. I only live to please Jesus. So everything I've told you has integrity. For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus. So to land. So through the book of Galatians, God, the author of the Bible, the author of the gospel, still speaks through Paul. And he asks us, will you surrender to the gospel that Paul preached? And will you entrust entirely and 100% that you can only be right with God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus? What do you say to Paul's testimony? 
Will you wholeheartedly embrace only the message that Paul was taught directly from Jesus? Will you say yes to a personal relationship with God without any mixture of anything, of any rules or tradition or anything, only through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? The gospel is good news of what God has done for us through Christ, not what we do for him. God declares us in a right relationship with himself as a sheer gift in which we contribute nothing and even our faith is a gift. Will you invite even now Holy Spirit to give you courage, to give me courage in sharing it? There is no other message under heaven by which men and women can be made right with God. It is the only message. Will you diligently, first in your heart, and then lovingly in public, will you diligently guard the gospel and protect the gospel from anything that contradicts it, distorts it, and and opposes the gospel of grace? Will I, will you, believe that Jesus plus anything spoils everything? And Paul would say through the ages, it was astonishing then and it is astonishing today that anyone hearing the best news in the world, that God offers free forgiveness, wonderful hope, adoption, inheritance and freedom, would turn to any other gospel that is not the gospel at all. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we pray, take us on a journey Mm. of being radically fully persuaded and fully convinced of both the authority of Scripture and the authenticity of the message that has been given to us through the ages in books like Galatians. We pray that we would have courage sharing it, telling our story to men and women, being bold to drop little things in, to have compassion to the, to, upon the crowds as we see them, saying there is no other message. We don't have to become argumentative with anyone. We don't have to shout anyone down. But we know we need to be fully persuaded in our own hearts that this is the only message that God has given in order that we can be made right. Would we, in our own walk with God, understand that Jesus plus anything spoils everything? Would we be diligent to say, I'm only going to follow the gospel, the good news message that has been given to me through the revelation of the Lord Jesus that we have had experientially ourselves and on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we pray, God, cause us in our age where truth and objectivity of truth has been undermined by the idea that all messages are equally true, to know in our hearts the courage to be bold that we are ambassadors of reconciliation on behalf of Christ. And that the message that was given to the apostles in Acts 1 to start and go out and beyond and take the gospel to all the nations is still relevant upon us today. That the call upon us is to make disciples of all nations and all peoples, reminding them of what Jesus has taught and inviting them into a loving relationship with God that we are ministers of reconciliation 
We carry the message to a dying world that God loves them, that God is for them, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there's new birth, a fresh start, new hope, a relationship with God, eternal life, an inheritance in Christ, intimacy with God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, coming into the throne of grace and worshipping God. We carry that message to a world. God, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for grace to see every single person as a person that we can say something to, whether it's in kindness or a word, in a conversation. Sometimes it starts by just noticing people and pausing and stopping. It's not that we have to get all the, the whole thing across in one breath like we're in a... We just need to be listening and attentive, open to the Holy Spirit. What's the word of life that I can reach out to and give them today? Can I pray for them to be healed so they have a revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord and has conquered Satan's sin and death and sickness? Can I bring a revelation of that? Can I bring a word of knowledge? Can I be open to bring something that will then let me say a little bit more of the gospel? Does my story resonate in this moment? Can I say a little bit? There's only one message. Be courageous, be bold in a world that's saying you don't have the truth. Be fully persuaded and convinced by the testimony of Paul and how he defended both his authority and the authenticity of the message that he carried. Amen. Amen.